The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn News. Workplaces around the U.S. have been celebrating Hispanic Heritage Month over the past several weeks. Despite the widespread recognition of the contributions of Hispanic Americans to the world of work, they still face barriers during their job search and careers. We're talking all about it on today's episode. From LinkedIn News, this is Get Hired, a podcast for the ups and downs and the ever-changing landscape of our professional lives. I'm Andrew Seaman, LinkedIn Senior Managing Editor for Jobs and Career Development, bringing you conversations with experts who, like me, want to see you succeed at work, at home, and everywhere in between. The Department of Labor says the number of U.S. workers who identify as Hispanic grew from about 11 million in 1990 to nearly 30 million in 2020. Between then and 2030, people who are Hispanic are expected to account for more than three quarters of all net new workers. Despite that growing representation of workers who identify as Hispanic, they still face barriers in the workplace. In fact, the average unemployment rate for Hispanic workers was 4.4% in the U.S. between April and August of 2023. That's compared to an average of 3.6% for all workers during that same time. We're joined today by Patricia Mota, who is president and CEO for the Hispanic Alliance for Career Enhancement. She is also the co-founder of Sheenix Latina Fintech. Patricia is sharing with us a bit about the challenges Hispanic workers face in the labor market and how they can overcome them in their job search and careers. Here's Patricia. I am a proud Latina, Mexican-American, daughter of immigrants here to the U.S., first-generation college graduate, first-generation going into the professional workforce. And uh, I've learned about my passion, which is really experiencing the education, the access, the equity gap growing up where I grew up in a lower-income community. And so I've made it my personal mission to be an advocate for access and equity in everything that I do. When I started working on my graduate degree, I knew that I wanted to go to a nonprofit to build and scale programs. And so that's where my journey began with the Hispanic Alliance for Career Enhancement, or ASE, as we pronounce it. As a program director, uh, there was a role to oversee first our Mujeres de ASE, which is our Latina leadership program. Now globally as well, nearly 4,000 alum that have gone through that program. And so the organization's been around since 1982, and the mission has remained the same, but how we deliver on that has evolved where we became more program focused the last 15 years, where we have converted to more of an e-learning virtual platform, as you can imagine, the last three years. And our mission being to positively impact workplaces by cultivating the community of Latino talent, providing the insight, access and support to be successful in their careers. And we are in the middle of Hispanic Heritage Month here in the United States. And it's really fantastic when you look at sort of the projections from the Department of Labor, because not only has the proportion of the workforce that is Hispanic American increased, but really when you look ahead to 2030, it's 78% of all new entrants into the workforce will actually be Hispanic Americans. Yeah. And 
Despite that, obviously, they still face challenges in the workforce. So I know that just looking at the most recent data, Hispanic Americans still have higher unemployment rates than average. And what other barriers when you talk to people and you do programs do you see people running into in the job search and in their careers? A couple of things. One is when you look at senior level roles, let's say in corporate America, Hispanics, Latinos, Latine, Latinx, we use those interchangeably, represent 4% of those senior level roles. And Latinas, so Hispanic women, 1%. When you look at the population, we in the U.S., we're nearly 20% of the population. And so there's a huge need to make sure that we're increasing that representation because what does that do? You folks like our students, our up-and-coming professionals, early careers, they will see themselves represented and be able to identify with getting up to those roles. And, and so that's a big component of our leadership programs at ASE is not only early career, mid-career, senior level, leadership development, culturally relevant programming, but a multi-generational support network that we've been able to create through ASE. And it helps empower them not only with the tools and the resources, but with that empowerment to say, I can do it too, right? And so going back into the company, becoming uh, more visible, advocating for themselves. And also culturally speaking, generally, as Hispanic Latinos, our traditional cultural norms, such as modesty, respect to authority, humility, are beautiful values that we have that sometimes clash with traditional corporate culture of individualism, of to your own horn, you know, get to the top. So we create that awareness with the asset program so that you don't lose who you are. You never change who you are, but it's learning what is it that you need to assert yourself and shift and get comfortable and confident so that you can get those meaningful career opportunities. But once you're there, be able to move up into influential and roles that are meaningful to you as well. And so the other challenge is within organizations, and this is in the equity space and the inclusion space, is helping our employer partners understand what are the structures, the processes in place, so that you can ensure you're eliminating as much bias as much as you can as it pertains to hiring, as it pertains to advancement opportunities, because that's part of the challenge as well. Yeah. And I think that's such a good point because I think a lot of companies, they focus on DEI and then they'll say, oh, we have parity in our workforce. But like you pointed out, the workforce is not just a flat structure. There are different levels. So do you have parity at all of those levels? And in most cases, that's usually where a lot of employers fall down, which means, like you said, they don't have the representation maybe in the C-suite or in the middle management level and places like that, even if they do have sort of representation of Hispanic Americans or Latino Americans in the actual overall workforce, right? Yeah. And it's not just about representation. It's an economic imperative for all businesses for all people that we ensure that this community is being represented and that we're inclusive of this community and all diverse communities. You look at the economic contributions, you, you talk about the future workforce, leading with the 2.8 trillion GDP, meaning if the U.S. Hispanic Latino community were a country in the world, would be the fifth largest GDP and growing at a 7% rate faster than China. And so think about the 1.8 trillion purchasing power and the fact that Latinas are leading household decisions as it pertains to purchases, health care, but also being the least paid. And this year, Latina Equal Pay Day is on October 5th, meaning that it takes up to October 5th for that full-time Latina earner to earn what her white male counterpart earned the year before. That's a loss of potential wealth in, in her lifetime that not only impacts her family, the communities and, and society at large. And so it's, it's an economic imperative. 
for so many reasons as to why we're ensuring there's equity for this community, for, for everyone at the end of the day. A great area to focus on because a lot of people, they really set themselves up for a pay gap right when they're being hired. So I know so many people that they'll get their offer and they're afraid to negotiate or they're afraid to push back. What advice do you have for people who are going through that process and they maybe get a number in front of them and they say, "Okay, great, this looks good, but maybe they feel it's too low, but they don't want to push back. You don't want to be set up down the road for promotions and stuff like that and then still be underpaid compared to your colleagues. Yeah, at the end of the day is is always ask. And even if, let's say, the response back is like, it's a not right now type of deal, be ready to propose alternatives, right? Whether it's some more time off, whether it's professional development, thinking about that. But at the end of the day is always ask. I think to your earlier point, Andrew, is that sometimes we're grateful for the opportunity that we take the first offer that's given to us, but then that hurts us down the line as, as we move. The second piece is always doing the research before you're going to ask and knowing what are the ranges that you should fall within so that you at least come in prepared when you go in with that ask. We'll be right back with Patricia after this break. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hi, I'm Kwame Christian, CEO of the American Negotiation Institute, and I have a quick question for you. When was the last time you had a difficult conversation? These conversations happen all the time, and that's exactly why you should listen to Negotiate Anything, the number one negotiation podcast in the world. We produce episodes every single day to help you lead, persuade, and resolve conflicts both at work and at home. So level up your negotiation skills by making Negotiate Anything part of your daily routine. And we're back with Patricia Mota, president and CEO of ASE, the Hispanic Alliance for Career Enhancement. When people are thinking about joining an organization, what do you suggest they look for? Because obviously there are companies that will always put in more of an effort when it comes to DEI and also just making people feel comfortable at work. So for people out there who say, "Okay, I'm not really sure how this company is toward employees of diverse backgrounds or people who are Hispanic Americans, what is your advice for them looking inward and are there questions they should ask? Yeah, that's a great point. I I think we've all seen an increase of companies, employers putting out diversity, equity, and inclusion statements. And so now is the time that the accountability is taking place where we should be asking, and especially if you're entertaining an employer, what are the metrics that have driven that statement to date? What are the metrics of things that have happened as a result of your DEI strategy and statement? What are some of the initiatives internally that help build a sense of belonging for employees? And what are some of the partner organizations that you're working with to help build that? And seeing if there's an answer to that. If not, then you know that perhaps not none of the work's being done at the time. Yeah, and I think also 
if they have those internal organizations, those ERGs, yes. especially if you're a serious job seeker or a serious candidate, usually they should be willing to connect you with someone who is in that ERG or in that community to say, hey, will you talk to this prospective employee, right? No, that's a great point, Andrew. Our most holistic partnerships, we're not only working with the chief diversity officers and their teams, we're also working with the talent acquisition and their team, but we're working with the ERG, employee resource groups, business resource groups to have that more holistic approach. And they're usually the ones that if we've got folks applying for the jobs, that they're willing to talk to the potential candidates. The reason organizations like ASE are important is because it provides that community of folks who have had a similar experience, similar culture, similar upbringing that then helps really catapult their inner leader that then unleashes them to go back and to influence and to lead and to advocate within their organization. Yeah. And something also for people who are maybe in a job already and maybe they are feeling a little stuck or they're having trouble navigating through their career or really advance, what would your suggestions be for them? Because I think a lot of people, their knee-jerk reaction is to say, I need to get out of here. But maybe there are opportunities within their current organization. What would your suggestions be in those cases? That's such a great question. Right now, there's a lot coming at us with technology. Things are advancing at a much faster pace, which means change is happening at a much faster pace. And you can be overwhelmed by saying, well, how can I help? How can I do this? Do not underestimate the power that you have as an individual in terms of sharing what you would like to see change and communicating that, whether it's on a one-on-one basis, right? Having coffee meetings or cafecitos, like we like to call them, arase, and asking folks, may I have 15, 20 minutes of your time or maybe half hour? More oftentimes, yes, folks are more than willing to meet with you and have those conversations about sharing what is it that you would like to see, but don't underestimate that with you yourself, you can do that. I think the other piece I would layer onto that is that we have to take the time to make sure we're self-reflecting on building that self-awareness muscle that I think is so critical for everyone these days and say, am I living in my values? Am I being authentic to who I am at my core? And what are those personal stories as to why you are who you are? Because those are the things that are going to drive you, right? Is you're sharing those stories about who you are, your personal experiences, they help build the right connection, the right community, the right access, the right resources as you go about your career, especially when you're in exploratory mode, right? I think that's super critical because then it just opens up doors. I think the more comfortable we get with that foundation of who we are. What I also always suggest to people is to find what I call the off the books ERGs, because there's always obviously the official ones. There's the Hispanic workers group. There'll be the black employee resource group. Mm -hmm. There'll be the LGBTQ employee resource group. And I'll always tell people those are great, but also make sure you find your people inside. And Mm. Maybe there's like a Slack channel or a Teams chat or something where you can regroup and say, I'm running into this problem internally. Does anyone have any thoughts? Do you feel that people should also seek out those sort of communities? Yeah, ERGs are one way of that, but I think it shouldn't just be that, right? You have to be able to tap into, if you have a challenge in a certain area, subject matter experts, folks that may or may not be in these affinity groups that you can build that community to be able to have that safe space that then unleashes the potential for us to be able to be vulnerable, to be able to share So I think that the knowledge circles is definitely one component for sure. Yeah. And also for people outside of an employer who maybe are job seeking right now, where do you suggest maybe they look for 
community when they are trying to navigate the job market, the labor market, because often that could be a lonely place. What resources would you suggest people tap into? Yeah, well, for sure, Asset Online, so HACEonline.org, we have our free career center and platform, and, and there's um, opportunities to connect with our employer partners there to ask questions. We also offer monthly coaching sessions. So these are coaches that we work with throughout the year that are volunteering their time to meet one-on-one. So you can sign up. I, th- I think it's like a 2025 nominal fee that goes back to the organization to be able to meet with you to go over your resume or to prep for an interview. And so definitely utilize us as a resource. But of course, there's so many other great organizations, you know, that you can be a part of and be able to lean in and, and get that support. That's great, especially that coaching resource. I think that that's really unique and also a great deal. And my other question is for people out there who maybe they're currently at an employer or they will be in the future and they want to be a good ally to their Hispanic colleagues. Because I never like to say like it's all on one person to overcome their barriers. I think everyone needs to work toward that. So for people out there who want to be good allies to their colleagues, what can they do? Yeah, I think first is to listen, right? And I think leveraging organizations like us is a good way. We welcome everybody to be part of our programs, our events, because it's an educational opportunity as well for those that are allies or that are seeking to become allies. But then two is getting to the action piece, right? Meaning, are there points of privilege, whether your position or otherwise, that you find yourself in that there is no voice in terms of the Latino Hispanic perspective? Are you being that voice? And how can you be that voice for the community saying, hey, perhaps we should bring someone from the community to speak from their lens when we're working on this project? Or if you're looking at the hiring pool, just asking good questions and really advocating uh, for the community when there is not a presence. And again, it should not always fall on that ally. It shouldn't always fall on that one Hispanic or Latino. It's more about asking good questions. Yeah. And is there anything else that you think is important to add or anything that maybe I didn't ask about that you'd like to mention? Yeah, know that, you know, us is here to, to be a partner. Reach out to us and leverage us as a resource to sign up for our newsletters if you're not currently receiving our information. We're also part of us's end of year campaign. So as a 501c3, we do award scholarships to students across the nation every year. Last year, we were able to award 40 students from across the nation with a $2,500 scholarship and was able to get into my last semester to help me pull through. It, it's just amazing. And as a benefactor of scholarships myself, it's super critical for, for us to be able to do this. And so we're always seeking donations. That's currently going on as well from now until the end of the year. So I have to throw that in there, right? <laughs> Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Patricia. Thank you. Appreciate it. That was Patricia Mota, president and CEO of ASE, the Hispanic Alliance for Career Enhancement. Remember, it's up to you to put our advice into practice. Still, you always have a community backing you up and cheering you on. Connect with me and the Get Hired community on LinkedIn to continue the conversation. Also, if you liked this episode, please take a moment to leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts. It helps people like you find the show. And don't forget to click that follow, subscribe, or whatever other button you find to get our podcast delivered to you every Wednesday. Because we'll be continuing these conversations on the next episode, right here, wherever you like to listen. Get Hired is a production of LinkedIn News. This episode was produced by Alexis Ramdow. Rafa Faria is our associate producer. Asaf Gidron engineered our show. Joe Georgie mixed our show. Dave Pond is head of news production. Enrique Montalvo is our executive producer. 
Courtney Coop is the head of original programming for LinkedIn. Dan Roth is the editor-in-chief of LinkedIn. And I'm Andrew Seaman. Until next time, stay well and best of luck.